Hello, Lawrence, uh, global citizen of the world. It's it's great uh, pleasure to to share actually your your story with uh, fast forward um, uh, followers actually on, on podcast that we are recording for HD Group, and uh, I would like to hear a little bit more, um, of course, on on about you, about the company, about the global, and uh, since we talk about the global things, you know, and global trends, uh, usually go directly straight to the industry and many things but i know that you're also a big fan of, of soccer i believe so uh, maybe the, the global thing uh, that was quite a big in in this month it's also super league you know any any you know feedback on that uh, let's say global trial that they try yeah so um uh great to join you um you know originally from the uk i left london 31 years ago and uh I've lived in California for the last uh, 15 years, but my one of my top passions has always been uh, football, or as it's called in the US, uh, soccer. Um, I was actually born within one mile of the uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, so I'm a Tottenham Hotspur fan, and uh, I grew up with uh, with one of the best players of all time for Tottenham, a gentleman called Teddy Sheringham. So soccer oh. is very close. The the um, yeah, I mean the European Super League uh, is. Uh, is a testament to how bad money can make people behave and also a testament to how the power of the people can actually come through. So, you know, I, I was very, very, very disappointed with uh, the way that it was announced um, and the behavior around it. But I was equally uh, positive that within three days, uh, the, the people voted uh, almost in every country and, uh, and, and hopefully we're, we're back to normal. So, um, that, that's so although I am very glad I live in the US uh, I still have a huge passion for, uh, for soccer yeah it's uh, I like to, to to compare this like global friends you know how to fast forward with the uh, Nassim Talib let's say theory and, and it's interesting how he's comparing this low probability high impact but this time you know with, with this league uh, at least they, they made a huge PR. Let's see what will happen next. But uh, I think the Jeffrey and UEFA and, and actually all the all the fans of, of the soccer moved uh, the things back to, to normal in a way. Uh, but do you see some some trends also out of your industry that you see moving fast forward? That it's influencing the world from the global perspective and uh, that's touching all of us. Yeah, so I think there's uh, there's always two or three things that I think about uh, in terms of uh, things that happening outside of my industry or really happening across every industry. You know, the first one, of course, is this you know new way of working, um, and obviously the pandemic has accelerated this uh, you know remote hybrid um, environment. But actually, I think that was changing even before the pandemic because I think people were starting to realise that. You know, with the availability of communication, um, with the normalization of, uh, of global markets, that this uh, new way of working was actually going to accelerate anyway. So I think that's one thing. And I think we've all got to come to terms with what that means, which is that, you know, flexibility is going to be a standard that people are going to expect. And I also think that's going to make a significant impact across all industries on the tenure in terms of how long people stay in companies. So that's the yeah. first thing, I think, just this new, new way of working. Uh, the, the second one, which I think has, again, been fueled a little bit by um, the situation around the pandemic, which is 
uh, everyone at home now is thinking about everything they buy highly customized. So hyper customization, limited edition, um, and, and it's anything from, from beauty products right up to cars. So I think this concept of, uh, which in manufacturing is known as the batch size of one, is going to proliferate forever. Um, and then the overarching theme is that I, I think everyone's realizing whether it's in you know a B2B environment, a B2C environment, that or a you know, or even just in people's personal lives, that everyone wants a goods and service to be centered on individual preferences. So I think that they're the sort of the three sort of mega trends, new way of working, this batch size of one, and then the overarching theme is really, you know, people want to have a personalized experience. I agree. I agree. It's um, and more and more we want everything uh, to be just custom made uh, for us, you know, from the small things, you know, even from the bagels, you know, or, you know, basic things exactly. and, and all the way to the cars, you know, yeah. It's, it's uh, with, with all this data, you know, that's uh, big data that's, that's coming up. I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, profiles that can be built around us and, and exactly. you know, it, it, uh, socializing, we are, we are almost getting afraid of all the, all the data that we give away, you know. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and if you look, if you move uh, closer to the market, I mean, I will use the theory of the uh, blue ocean, Kim Chan that we met in, in Istanbul, and uh, talking yeah. about value, value innovation, you know, touching the, the fast forward on the markets. What are the biggest changes, let's say, on the market that you see, can I call it digital market, you know, or uh, what, what could be, uh, let's say, the trends more focused on, on, on your markets? Yeah, so um, if I think about, you know, digital, you know, digital has been eating the world for the last uh, decade, going through each industry sector. So if you think about, uh, the, the, you know, the banking and finance industry, you know, when do people ever go into banks? Um, you know, when I can't, I rarely carry cash. So, you know, digital, I think, is, is really uh, eating its way through every sector. Um, and whether it's in you know, work or telehealth or education, that's all been accelerated during the, uh, the pandemic. Um, and when I think in terms of the, the context of, uh, of my business, you know, we, we, we focus on the industrial world. So it's really people that are frontline workers, people doing what I call real work, whether it's yeah. uh, in a manufacturing side in a distribution center. What's really interesting is, is how the adoption of these solutions is accelerating not because of the natural adoption of technology, meaning technologies just naturally get adopted at a speed, but there are some other factors that are going on in our industrial world which are accelerating it, which is predominantly around the demographic and age shift. So in the industrial world, um, it's dominated by uh, baby boomers. So you've got four generations working, baby boomers, which are the youngest baby boomer is 56. Then you've got my generation then you've got millennials and then you've got gen z so you've got four generations working and in less than five years domestically here in north america 75 percent of the industrial workforce will be millennials, millennials. Um, so if you give me let alone a millennial a 10 centimeter binder and say read that on how to do the job it's just not going to work so there's a really interesting thing that's occurring where the frontline workers are demanding modern digital tools because that's the way they've operated in, in their life. So that's one of the really interesting things. And then the pandemic has highlighted, you know, a number of 
really interesting things around transforming supply chains and figuring out how to build more resilience into that more local you know a lot of the issues around the industrial world at the moment is that no one can get products the demand's recovering but there's shortages in aluminum there's shortages in foam there's shortages in chemicals because a lot of it's single source from large parts of the you know distances of the world so i think what digital is going to occur is put more resilience into things more connectivity and um you know that combined with what's known as the grace tsunami which is this retiring workforce that are leaving with all that tacit knowledge is really driving the biggest changes in my market it's, it's becoming a uh, an existential risk if you don't deploy digital to frontline workers in the same way as that if you didn't have a mobile banking application now you would not be having any customers in the banking industry yep yeah, like Claudia saying there's no almost there's no more digital a separate industry because digital is integrated in exactly. all of the industries yeah now. yeah you used to hear the term digital banking but i mean no banking is is digital so you don't if you're if you're not a digital bank you're not a bank anymore yeah yeah so i think that's what's happening in this industry becoming a natural progression of technology but the acceleration of frontline workers because of this demographic shift i think is super important yeah. Uh, there's there's probably some blue lagoons because there's quite big competition. I mean, big ocean of, of Red Sea uh, in in the same industry and even cross industry. Where do you see maybe a blue lagoon on your market? You know, market niches uh, of the future, if you can call it. Yeah, great great question. So um, we're fortunate to be uh, involved in the biggest market in the world. People don't realize that. Uh, you know, you and I that are sat at desks, that's about 20% of the workforce. 80% actually doesn't sit in an office anyway. So it's a very, very, very big um, workforce. So, you know, and it's underserved, it's under, underrepresented. Um, and a lot of the technology market actually doesn't understand this business because most technology has been for financial industries, marketing, selling, not for frontline work. So, you know, the, the real opportunity, I think, for us is that because we focus totally on the unique nature of mobile first, people walking around executing work, we're really empowering the human. And I think that's really where the, the opportunity is that, you know, it, it's, it's ironic that it's, it's a massive market, but the niche is that we're focused on the worker. Okay. And so it's a massive niche, but it's like, it's something that companies like SAP or Oracle, they, they, they sort of understand, but they don't actually really get the fact that the way those workers work is not typing stuff in. It's, it's yeah. more like a consumer experience. So that's where we sort of see, uh, you know, it's a very, very big niche, which is focusing on the human. Yeah. It's like, it sounds to me like uh, we are, we are building in the future kind of, transformers you know in in a, in a way right. out of people you know and not just being human but giving superpowers actually behind what they can achieve with with uh, using this uh, ability yeah no exactly i mean this is you know i really do you think about the the term empowerment because uh, it's also super important that these frontline workers are happy because it's very difficult to hire you know going to any place in north america at the moment there's there's labor shortages despite the pandemic um, because people have a lot more aspirations now and so you've also got to capture their 
attention with the, these modern digital tools. And, and ultimately what's so exciting about this is that, is that we're capturing a new source of data, human activity data. Mm-hmm. Once you start to get that at scale, you can start to do some really, really interesting things such as predicting when there might be an accident. Okay. Because at the moment, this is all dark data. You know, you're, 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 you're paying someone to do some work. Do you know whether they did it correctly? Do they did it safely? The whole benefit of digital, it's an easy way to drive compliance and capture data on what really went on to basically improve the outcomes of, of people. So, you know, there's so many injuries that occur in the industrial world. There's so many problems with food safety. Well, this is all because it's all dark data. Now you've got the ability to start to capture that. You actually raise the, uh, the you know, the, the probability of actually a good outcome. So that's what's also really exciting, this new set of data. Yeah. It's, it's uh, when I was, uh, let's say, studying uh, one of the professors really focusing on Toyota case, you know, let's say how, yeah. how they did the process, how important it is and, and actually empowerment of people to be able and actually to, to be part of uh, not incremental, but actually uh, steady improvements on all possible levels, let's say. And, That's right. And building around the people, uh, you know, all the process and it was almost impossible to copy just a lot of companies tried, you know, and then Tesla came with totally new process trying to, to break through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a great, great point. So if you think about the, uh, the Toyota manufacturing system, um, and if you want to read some things around professor Deming, who's sort of the father of the, the whole area of continuous improvement that uncovered things such as Kaizen. Kaizen is a context yeah. of continuous improvement. What we're effectively doing is real-time Kaizen. It's not the suggestion box that people meet and then say, let's look at the suggestion, let's implement. No, the data is capturing Kaizen and then you can get that turn. So that's why it's really interesting that it's, these are very, very well understood principles that digital can now accelerate and make real time. Amazing, yeah. And, and that's uh, gonna bring, like you said, uh, many, many changes on the market and uh, also companies are changing, you know. Uh, and if you, if you look, for example, at um, your company and, and looking how to fast forward actually on this level, uh, can you tell us maybe a project mo- that you're most proud of you know, working on in, in your company at the moment or you know, in the past? Yeah, so there's two things that um, really, really excite me about uh, our business. Why um, it's not only, obviously, we are a commercial business. We do want to, you know, have a great outcome, but um, this whole concept of democratizing technology for the masses is really, really inspiring to see. And what I mean by that is that some of the fastest growth we see in our company is in countries that have been underserved with technology. So we have a lot of customers deploying in Africa, in emerging nations in Asia Pacific. So that's a really, really important thing is that most of our customers are big international companies, headquarters in Europe or in the US, but actually because of this mobile first technology, you can, and it's, you know, you can download it from the app store, you can liberate everyone. So I'm super proud about the concept of democratization because a lot of digital has been somewhat discriminatory towards a certain type of knowledge worker. Whereas we now, you know, the benefits of, you know, our market is that, and our type of technology, we can democratize this and make it available to someone in, you know, West Africa or someone in Cambodia. And by the way, these are true. So we got, and what's interesting about those markets, those people are super aspirational because 
they've had no technology. The first technology they've ever had is mobile. So guess what? They picked this up super. So the democratization to emerging nations is super. And then the other thing is, which is the, probably the most important thing for me in, in business is this whole concept of ESG, um, which is all around, you know, social and corporate governance. And obviously a big derivative of that is sustainability. So, you know, we fundamentally believe in our vision and mission, which is all really about improving the daily lives of industrial workers and their experiences. The derivative benefit is that digital enables you to be more sustainable because you're taking a significant amount of inefficiency out of manufacturing companies, which reduces waste and reduces CO2 emissions. And so that's the other thing I'm really, really proud of is that in addition to the obvious use cases around efficiency and quality, the ESG use case around safety and sustainability make me very, very proud that not only are we making uh, you know, the lives of people better, but actually it's, it's making the planet better. And I think we all need to pay attention to this because uh, again, that was a interesting discussion over the last decade. And now I think it's an existential risk if you don't take it seriously. So that's the, sort of the, the two things I'm really proud of, the, the democratization of technology to emerging markets and also the fact that you can use this technology to drive the ESG, especially safety and sustainability. Probably they changed a lot, right, in, in your process. You, you had a really successful career in many companies, you know, more than 10 companies, if I saw right, you know, in, in developing. But uh, what, what changed most about your job over the or your career, let's say, is would you, would you see if you're more, let's say, focused on sustainability and, and, and these elements or how do you look today compared to the, for example, uh, previous mm, companies that you started your career? Yeah, so uh, the biggest change is that there is um, no patience in anything anymore. Yeah. So speed, um, speed and scale is really what everything's about now. So when I think about, um, you know, I've, I've had the pleasure of working with some amazing companies, um, but if I really just look at my passable journey over the last four and a half years, what really has been clear to me is the speed you need to move at and the scale you need to move at. You've mm -hmm. got to figure out how you can deploy solutions really fast and at scale. You know, when I started my career in the late 90s, that was the emergence of SAP, one of the biggest software companies in the world. And I remember sitting in meetings with customers where they'd put up their implementation roadmap and it would go for seven to 10 years. Say, right, we're doing this country net. No one has the time or patience to wait for a year. So, you know, that's been the biggest change is that you've got to figure out how to move fast, how to deploy fast and how to deploy at scale. That's really the, the biggest change. I, I saw uh, one quote that I really like. You know, it's not anymore how to say the big ones eating the small companies, but actually the fast ones eating the slow ones. You know, in, in a way. That's there, right. Yeah, big changes on top five hundred companies that are actually erased more than I believe fifty-seven percent were erased from the in the last twenty years, and it looks like it will speed up in the next ten years. It will be even more okay acquiring or merging. You know, or uh, let's say getting out of the uh, list. And what I was uh, really surprised also that in December, it's the first year that we had 500 unicorns already evaluated on 2 trillion, but actually uh, something what looked like mistake in 2004, 
uh, when the first unicorn appeared. Uh, it's actually today uh, element of speed. Okay, let's let's leave how good they are, but let's, let's just say the the speed, how quickly they are evaluated, it's changing also. Let's say the perception of of possibilities for startups on one hand. On the other hand, you know they're stealing the cheese from the classic uh, industrial companies, probably. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, talking about the companies, I move uh, quickly also to the uh, fast forward uh, on, on the product. And um, I really like this. It's not Milka product, but Seth Godin was talking about Purple Cow as, as their different, uh, let's say, product that's focusing on, on special uh, tribe or special, even more personalized customer. Um, if, if you look at these questions, you know, I would like to see um, also from your side, what is your, let's say, product differentiation strategy? How do you see your company or product are different than, than others? Yeah, so um, we're in the you know, business to business market. So we sell, we're a business that sells to businesses. Um, but ultimately we think about our users as consumers. So the DNA of our company is you know enterprise class solutions, but recognizing that the end user is a consumer-like person. So we don't just want people to use our solution and, and be satisfied. We actually want them to love it in the same way that they would love Instagram or WhatsApp because um, these people don't necessarily have the, the time or the motivation to try and figure out how to do stuff. So when I think about our product differentiation, um, there's been several milestones on our on our roadmap. Um, but what's always come above everything is is our ability to do primary research on what's really needed by the end user. So you know we did that in the early days, and we constantly so our product is 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 wired to understand really what's going on. So you know it, people talk about user experience and. UI design, but really ours is about how do they use it in their daily lives. So our, our real secret source is our ability to blend a massively complex backend, scalable enterprise class platform with an experience at the consumer end. And that's, that's actually very difficult to do. And then the other thing I would roll into that is that, you know, it, it has been since day one, but it's really accelerated, which is that the data is increasing in our focus how better to collect it, how better to ensure that the insights can be uh, extracted, and then how to push those insights back to each of the personas. And so I think what, what we've achieved more than anyone else is this really interesting balance of getting huge scale of deployments, but with a very, very close understanding of what really is the data needs of the person that's executing work. And that's really where we think. There's obviously a lot of functional things. We have some super cool technology around how we deal with synchronization, um, how we capture data and this whole concept of the metadata. But really it's about this enterprise scale, but with a consumer-like experience at the front end. You see actually the, the workers as, as, let's say, users of all this. And, and that's right. So, so you're defining needs. Uh, you can define with all these data, even needs before they recognize them in, in, in a way exactly right. ex express them in, in, in a way so we can say let's say um, in combination of steve jobs in b2b you know in ideo 
in, in uh, defining actually opportunities through, through data. Yeah. Uh, if if uh, have another question here also on, on product, you know, how fast do you develop and, and for example, redesign or, or um, move with, with your product uh, now? Is it speeding up, let's say, the development, how you see when you have a lot of data? Yeah, so, um, you know, we have a, uh, like every company in the technology, we have a roadmap that has a, a three-year view um, that then comes down to, you know, bite-sized levels of detail. Um, you know, we really do fundamentally believe in Agile. And when we think about Agile, we're often doing new releases daily. Um, and uh, that may sound crazy, but actually once you get into that motion, it not only delivers a significant amount of value to the customer by pushing out new features faster, but you also drive a significant improvement in product quality because you know that your speed of delivering high quality and your speed of fixing needs to be like super turbocharged. So, um, you know, we, we've now obviously there are features that may take months to deliver and they will be rolled out. But on a general view, we want to be able to push software out, you know, daily, weekly, not months, weeks. And, and that's really how we think about that. So as soon as you have it, it's it's updated. It's not fixed. Like like comparing the, the let's say the how to say the software for Tesla cars and the classic cars in a way. So exactly, you know, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Um, if you if you look um, then further, I uh, will move to the to the last animal. Let's say butterfly wings effect. I mean, more than hundred forty years old theory from Jacques Cadamard. Know um, that this uh, flap of the wings on one side can change the world and another side will make, make a huge uh, hurricane or, or changes. And I like to use this on perspective of personal. Um, there, there are people that can change uh, with, with some tweet, they can change the stock exchange value, you know, they can change the, the some people just collect likes through Instagram, you know, with, with uh, nude photos or something, you know. But uh, of course, we all of us want to make. Uh, changes um, with, with personal. So maybe starting here, what was the biggest challenge you faced in, in your career? You know, how you handle it? Um, how did you see in, in the past, let's say, the biggest challenge? Yeah, so I, I think there's a, a number of interesting uh, challenges that I've been through my career. You know, I, I've been in the enterprise technology space for just over 20 years. Um, I think the... Uh, the, the first big challenge was realizing that uh, there's a lot of things you can't control. Um, so, you know, the, the realizing that despite everything that you execute correctly, um, there's things you can't control. The outcomes of companies has some level of randomness. And so I've always had this, uh, you know, incredible drive, incredible, you know, winning mentality uh i had to get used to the fact that i may not win all of the time because there's things i can't control and uh and, and that was uh, a thing i learned quite early in my career once i started to realize that despite everything you've got to deal with failure as good as you deal with uh, success and so that was the biggest thing is realizing i can't win everything i can't get everything right um it's about learning and realizing you do need to to power so that was the sort of the 
the first big one. Um, the second one I would say, um, particularly as I've moved around the world, even when I was based in Europe, moving from the UK to France, to Germany, to Italy, to Belgrade, to anywhere, realizing that I have to really, really help people be culturally sensitive. You know, one of the things that I think is so, so beautiful about the world is that there's so many different cultures, languages, um, and despite the fact that things are all normalizing through the internet, you know, getting everyone to realize, you know, I've, I've come from Europe and then come to the US. That's, it's less of a challenge now, but I, I've got a lot of frustration through getting people to understand that cultures are important. Yeah. So culture as, as the element, uh, additional element, let's say. And yeah. like you mentioned before, you know, I, I, I mean, we went to, to the really global picture in, in a way, but still, you know, especially in this pandemic uh, time, we really appreciate that they can also locally <laughs> take care of, of food or some other things, you know, that's not uh, everything is really globalized totally. Yeah. And uh, here um, also on this uh, personal um, questions, let's say, I uh, would ask also, um, if if you look at this as a superpower, let's say, uh, what keeps you going through the your toughest days? It's, I know you really appreciate passion. Is that passion your superpower, or how would you put it? Uh, what keeps you going? Yeah, so um, I'm. I try to be uh, passionate about everything I do. Um, you know, whether it's you know my family, my football team, my dogs, my business. I believe that. You know, if you're going to do something, do it with a with, with passion and, and obviously drive, and, and that also drives a um, positive mental attitude. So, you know, what what really gets me uh, continually able to wake up every morning and feeling good is that first of all, I've got the pleasure of you know having a, a great family and living in a great part of the world, but also um, I, I can be passionate to myself, I can get passion with customers and I can get passion with employees. So I think passion, particularly again, in the toughest days of the pandemic, where we're all sitting through a two-dimensional screen, um, it's, it's less easy to be passionate, but I continue to do that. And then coupled with that is also, you know, being realistic, which is that realizing that, you know, you can do your best and sometimes your best is not good enough. So do your best and then learn to figure out how to do even better next time. So you know, continuing to learn. So it's this combination of passion and being mm -hmm. humble enough to know that you, you know, you can only do your best. Yeah, yeah. And um, if, if you look forward, actually, what giving you inspirations, you know, what, what's, what's your, for example, must read or watch or listen? How do you inspire yourself? Yeah, so um, I can actually bring that right up to date. Um, we, uh, we start, you know, being involved in this industrial world over the last year and a half during the pandemic, I've just seen some amazing things with companies on how they've actually worked through this pandemic. And we launched uh, a few months back a, uh, a series of podcasts, which is called Conquering Chaos. Um, you can actually get it from uh, pretty much all of the, uh, the media outlets. And it's just the thoughts and experiences of senior executives in these industrial companies talking about how they've conquered chaos and you know from leaders from companies like grupo bimbo the biggest bakery in the world dupont one of the most iconic companies in the world cmc materials so it's actually 
you know, listening to those uh, or reading their blogs, uh, which are out of the podcasts around, you know, how are they conquering chaos? And, you know, it's just inspirational to actually hear about frontline workers and how they think about digital. Um, so it's really about, you know, this whole series of conquering chaos uh, uh, podcasts and things, you know, I, I, I whenever one, we sort of publish one every uh, week or two and uh, I'm straight on listening to it because it is inspirational to hear people talking about, much about my technology, actually that's a, a sub point, more about just how they're thinking about conquering chaos in this world. That's great, great old track. Um, that's really interesting to hear. Yeah. Uh, for for the end, would you like to nominate maybe some some leader that you would like to hear? You know, on, on fast forward in, in the future, um, whom to invite? Let's say to, to talk with. Um. Uh, for for the, for for you. Uh, yeah. For example. Saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Um, I mean, I could shoot the bar really, really high um, and say, uh, you know, Joe Biden. How about trying to get Joe Biden onto it? That would be uh, interesting. Um, I think it would be actually quite interesting to see if we can get uh, an industrial leader um, to talk about, you know, how digital is impacting, not, not about, not about passport, but just so many people have a view about digital and IT being more for the, so I think that would be an interesting one is to get a, you know, an industrial leader, uh, could be big, could be small, you know, from any country to talk about, you know, how they are, uh, you know, working forward. Yeah. That's, that's right. I mean, and you're, uh, you're so, there's so much marketing around B2C in a way that we forget all the, all the B2B needs to be time to, to make it happen, you know, to, to come up with, uh, with products, actually, machinery that's needed uh, that B2C can, can follow. Yeah. Uh, great. Great. Uh, I would say that's, that's more or less all, all the questions. Thank you very much for, for sharing the, the knowledge. I really enjoyed, you know, some of the inputs. Um, maybe just for, for the end, um, to, to ask about HTech, you know, a question or two. Um, you, how, are you, how do you see the HTech now? We are having a strategic meeting, so sometimes I just have to ask you know, at the end, you know, what, what's your perception? How do you see how much you know, uh, perception is probably through Alex and, and quite few inputs you know, that, that you get? Um, Yes, yeah, so I think you know we we as a company um, have a great belief in building you know relationships with companies that can help us accelerate the delivery of our platforms, and um, you know we uh, we fundamentally believe that um, if you can figure out a blend of your own resources and external resources, you can absolutely you know deliver a great outcome, an accelerated outcome. It's all about acceleration. Um, Pulling that off is always very, very difficult, especially when you think about geographies, um, cultures, um, aligning around that. What, what one of the, you know, final things that I would say is that you know, HTEC better than most technology partners um, that are providing, you know, technology services, um, makes an extra effort to try to understand the culture of our company. So. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when I talk to some of our engineers that, and some of our engineering leadership that works with HTEC, um, I could almost close my eyes and it sounds like they're talking about a colleague in Europe, not a, uh, you know, not, not a partner. So I think your ability to sort of blend into our culture and, uh, and then, of course, it's about, you know, on time, 
on quality delivery. And that's uh, another key thing that we've seen uh, early in the relationship. Yeah. HTEC has been growing, uh, let's say, from 230 people in January last year to more than 800 uh, now in April. So speeding up, let's say, the development. It's interesting, actually, when I also joined, it's, it's in a way people are not paid by time, you know, but paid by added value. You know, That's how right. we're developing a lot of this, this HR programs, you know, we, we figure out actually how people, is, uh, people are actually the core of, of everything, what we do, you know, how they can add value. And many times we can see, like, uh, we can call it even as a pet project, you know, where people are thinking, what could be the second or the third level of, of problem that the client can, can come up, you know? So sometimes they, for fun, they develop things, you know, what, what is the next challenge that can happen you know, in, in advance? even before being demanded by, by the clients. So this was really amazing to see, you know, how um, even they can make a small PhD around the button, you know, in, in, in a way, so just to uh, try to find the, the best uh, options, you know, in, in advance. Um, good. Um, that's, that's all. That's a short question. So uh, I, I, I don't know if you, if you met before. I, I saw you also World Economic Forum with uh, Matthias Lufkens, we had a company together. Uh, I don't know if you met oh, wow. the uh, social director on uh, social media director in, in, so I was in Davos whew, 13 years, 14 years ago, um, a long time ago. And then he said, you know, let's, let's uh, Europe is not covered in, in this part of the world and some of the things. And I said, okay, let's, you know, let's help you and, and uh, for the great, great cause and, and uh, with some good, interesting things to support of the World Economic Forum. Got it. Yeah. Good. Well, great to uh, catch up and I've enjoyed it. And uh, thank you very much. Very late there. Uh, yeah. But, no uh, enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you.